fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It's Wednesday. It's the 20th of December, 2023. I'm so glad that you're with me for this hour of The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me. 888-914-9149. Our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. You can also find me on the X.com app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And you can email the show, Kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Well, just a few days to go before the celebration of the Nativity Christmas. We have a really, really interesting reading from the book of Isaiah in the first reading, which is kind of this prophecy of a virgin bearing a very special child to be called Emmanuel. But what did it actually mean in Isaiah's time? Plus, the New York Times goes after, of all things, of all, I was going to say of all people, but he's not really a person, Bluey. Bluey, yeah, that lovable kids cartoon. I know Preston Alex is probably listening. Big Bluey fan. He was on the show to talk about it recently. The New York Times has taken Bluey to task. Why? Because in this kid's cartoon, there's an example of something that they find really weird. The New York Times says it's a father who is weirdly present to his family. Is is that such a bad thing? I really want your guys' comments on this. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But want to point you to uh, today's first reading if you had a chance to get to Mass or maybe listen to Mass on Relevant Radio earlier. The first reading was from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 7. Very, very famous passage. It says, The Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as the netherworld or as high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary men? Must you also weary my God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, and then of course the gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and it's a famous annunciation scene when Gabriel uh, tells Mary that she will be the mother of the Messiah. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the gospel in just a second. And so this is the, the second annunciation in Luke's gospel. We talked about the first one last night. And that, of course, is the annunciation to Zechariah that he was going to be the father of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. But this, this is a really intriguing um, prophecy in Isaiah because we, we have to remember when we're reading the Bible, it's not as if Isaiah is writing this and has no idea what it's about in his own time. It's a prophecy about some way, way future event seven centuries later to do with the birth of the Messiah. It meant something in Isaiah's own time when we read this prophecy that the virgin will conceive and bear a son. So what did it actually mean? I, th- I think it's it's intriguing because... Obviously, in Matthew's Gospel, I know today's Gospel is from Luke, but Matthew's Gospel actually explicitly picks up on Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's a famous Messianic prophecy. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, this is a, this is, this is a third enunciation, if you will. 
in the New Testament. This is the Annunciation to Joseph. Uh, let's, I tell you, let's back up a little bit to verse 18, Matthew 1, 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus, by the way, is really the name Joshua. It's the same name in Hebrew. It means God saves. And in verse 22, chapter 1 of Matthew, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. In Matthew 1, 23, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, to sidebar here, that does not mean that Joseph had relations with her after. This is an abuse of the English language, uh, where it says uh, he had no marital relations with her, with Mary, until she had borne a son. doesn't mean that they did have relations after Mary is ever virgin. There's some other examples uh, in the Bible that we could point to, that Christ will reign until God has put all his enemies under his feet. Does that mean he'll stop reigning? After God has done this? No, he'll reign forevermore as God. Jesus says, I will be with you until the end of the age. The end of Matthew's gospel. It's from the same gospel. This is a good comparison. Does that mean Jesus won't be with us after the end of the age? Of course, he he will always be with us. This this is an abusive language. So it doesn't mean that Mary and Joseph had children of their own after the birth of Jesus. Not the case at all. The Bible doesn't say that. Let's not make the text say something it doesn't. But back to the point at hand here. Matthew says this is explicitly, Mary's pregnancy is explicitly in fulfillment of what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, there's no question that Readers of the gospel, some people would have raised a skeptical eyebrow about this. There, there's, there's no doubt about this. But in the ancient world, a lot of people would have been very, very open to this possibility. Of course, anybody from a Jewish background believes in a God of great miracles, the God who set his people free in the time of the Exodus with all kinds of signs and wonders, not to mention other miracles throughout salvation history. But even a lot of pagans would have been, in principle at least, open to something like this happening. When you look at Later on, all the the incredible wisdom and and mighty works of Jesus, his powerful resurrection from the dead, people would have expected something unusual and amazing about his birth, considering the amazing figure that Jesus cuts as as he moves throughout this world. So um, even some pagans would have been open to this kind of deal, that God could be involved in something like this. In fact, uh, Philo uh, says this, and and he was talking about uh, in the the Old Covenant how Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, conceived Isaac in her old age. Philo said, when a barren woman gives birth, it is not by way of generation, 
but by the work of divine power. And of course, yesterday we talked about another barren woman who gave birth, Elizabeth. But this, these, both of these conceptions were in the natural way, just way past childbearing time. Well, how much more true would this be? How much more amazing divine power is shown here when an unwed virgin conceives by the power of the Holy Spirit in the case of Mary? So this really would have grabbed people's um, uh, curiosity and said, man, there's something about this guy. However, however... Uh, some did doubt uh, the providence of Jesus and, and who, who he was and who his real dad was. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. And um, Jesus was thought by some to be what is known uh, in the ancient Jewish world as a mamzer. What does that mean? It means somebody of suspect provenance. Um, we don't really know who his parents are. There's some sort of, you know, maybe there's an inappropriate situation that happened. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something that happened out of wedlock. And in fact, we see this as Jesus continues with his public ministry. In fact, uh, in the Gospel of John, he's disputing with some religious leaders, Jesus, and they reply to him, "We are not illegitimate children." That's John eight forty one. And why would they say that to him? We are not illegitimate children. There's this idea that they they knew that something was different about his birth. They knew that, you know, maybe this Joseph guy wasn't his real dad. And then there's some other verses along those lines. Uh, John eight forty two, John 9, 16. You know, we were not conceived in sin. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is called the son of Mary in his hometown of Nazareth. He's not called the son of Joseph. Now, it could be because Joseph has died by this point. That That's also possible, but it could even if he's dead, people know who Joseph was in that town. He's a pretty well-known guy. Small town, very small village, maybe about 400 people in the time of Jesus. So they certainly would have known who his, who his dad was supposed to be. But to call him the son of Mary, that might have also been an insult towards Jesus as well. And you know that uh, later on uh, in the disputes between rabbis and Christians uh, in, in the Talmud, uh, there's, there's just a wicked story about how in the Talmud, they say that Jesus' real dad was a Roman soldier named Ben Pantera, which means son of the panther. And that, that this, this Roman soldier uh, had relations with, with Mary, and that's where Jesus really came from. This is obviously just a sick blasphemy. Um, but, it, but in a way, it kind of is a, is a backhanded compliment to the reality of the virginal conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary that there was something different about his birth, and everybody kind of knew that. But how, how do you explain this? Well, people explained it in various ways. But the truth is, this child was conceived without the intervention of a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. So, okay, well, let me, let me just get back to this, this whole um, concept of, um, of what's going on in, in Isaiah chapter 7. What in the world is going on here in its original context? Because we've got to remember, when we read the Bible, when Isaiah put out you know, the book of Isaiah, it meant something to the people of that time. And, and, and it can, it can, there can be something called typology, and, and prophecies can be about things that are far off into the future as well. And that's why Matthew picks this verse and says, you know what happened with Jesus is, is really the ultimate fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about? But in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when he originally wrote these words, 
about seven centuries before Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What on earth is that really all about? Well, this prophecy originally took place in a time of great and grave danger uh, in Jerusalem. Because King Ahaz, and by the way, that's the Ahaz that uh, is mentioned in this reading. Who is Ahaz? It's, it's King Ahaz, and he's a king in the line of King David. And he was thinking about making a deal. He was thinking about making an international alliance. Just like countries will get together like NATO and make an alliance. Well, he was thinking about making an alliance, a treaty with the Assyrians, the mighty Assyrians. And the prophet Isaiah told him, dude, king, don't do it. Please, whatever you do, do not make a deal with the Assyrians. Why not? Well, I, I, basically what was going on here was there, there were a couple of countries that were threatening, a couple of nations that were threatening Judah in the south. And uh, we're talking about the Syrians. They're known as, uh, they're mentioned in, in uh, Isaiah as, as Aram, the nation of Aram. It's really the, the, uh, the Syrians. And then Ephraim. And Ephraim is essentially Israel. So don't forget, Israel, the people of God kind of split off into the northern kingdom, which became known as Israel. And then there was the southern kingdom, the northern ten tribes eventually became the lost tribes of Israel. It's a long story. But what's going on here is Ephraim and Syria are fighting against Judah. They're fighting against Jerusalem. The people are terrified. They're terrified of a war. And King Ahaz is like, I, I don't know if I'm strong enough to beat these guys on my own. I've got to make a deal. I've got to make a deal with the Assyrians. And Isaiah said, don't do it, man. Whatever you do, don't do it. In business, in life, in employment contracts, in international relations, it's better to have no deal than to make a bad deal that's going to haunt you forever. And dude, if you do this, I'm telling you, it's going to be a terrible, terrible deal because the Assyrians want to take you over too. They want to take over the Holy Land. So Isaiah said, listen, King Ahaz, here's what you need to do. You need to have faith in God. And that's why it says in, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, he said, he's saying, Isaiah is saying to, um, to King Ahaz, if you will not believe, you surely will not endure. Now, now why, why does he say that? Why does he say that? Well, that, he's actually alluding to the covenant that God made with his ancestor, King David. And this is back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. God says to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, forever. And the kingdom of David in the Old Covenant time was known as the kingdom of God. It was the only kingdom in the Old Testament known as the kingdom of God. So that's why when Jesus does appear on the scene, he starts talking about the kingdom of God. Everyone really, their ears perk up. What? What's going on here? It could, could this be a successor of King David? Is he going to be the Messiah who's going to restore the fortunes of the people of God? Anyways, Isaiah says to King Ahaz, your house, you know, you won't endure if you don't have faith. And that's, that's an exact reference to the kingdom of David. So he's like, listen, I'm going to give you a sign, Ahaz, that God is speaking through me. You need to trust me. And the king's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need a sign. I don't need a sign. And sometimes we get like that too. Oh, no, Lord, I don't really need anything. I, I just, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be fine on my own. That's why Ahaz says in the first reading, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. I don't need a sign. Well, Isaiah says, listen, God's going to give you a sign. So just let him do what he wants to do here. And, of course, the sign is 
that a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means, of course, God is with us. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings that you dread will be forsaken. All right, so by, by the way, what's, what's the deal with this kid who's going to be born? He's going to eat curds and honey. Curds is kind of like yogurt and honey, so he's kind of like having a smoothie. He's having a nice, nutritious smoothie. He's ground up some protein powder and, and you know, berries and, and stuff. And just like curds, yeah, it's just awesome. It's a power smoothie. And before he knows enough to refuse evil and choose the good, he's basically saying before this kid gets to the age of reason, you know, and the age where he's sort of quote-unquote mature, he's ready to become an adult in the community, he's ready to have his bar mitzvah, if you will. If he were Catholic, he'd be getting confirmed around this time, about 12, 13 years old. By the time he's old enough to know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose kings that you dread, that you're so scared of, is going to be forsaken completely. So, and that's, by the way, that, that is exactly what happened. It was fulfilled in the lifetime of the feckless and fearful King Ahaz. So who is this kid? We have no idea. Who, who, is, who is the young woman? We have no idea. Maybe King Ahaz was going to get himself a new wife. Some of these ancient kings had, had a lot of brides, like King Solomon. And she was going to have a kid. Or maybe Isaiah himself was going to get married and have a kid. We don't really know who the woman was originally. We don't know who the young kid is, but we do know that this is exactly what happened in reality. Before the time the kid enough is old to know the difference between right and wrong, these two kings that scare Ahaz so much, they're going to be gone. Their kingdoms will be desolate. Within a few years, Syria and Ephraim, those two kingdoms, hoping to either uh, coerce him into a foolish, you know, alignment with the Assyrians or, or to try to get rid of this guy. They, they were, those kingdoms were completely annihilated in just a few years. So Isaiah was right. God took care of his problem. I, uh, Ahaz had nothing to worry about. And so this is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, and, and by the way, people, people sometimes, um, just as an aside here, they try to say, well, you know, Matthew changed it because uh, really, if you look at Isaiah's text in the original Hebrew, it just says young woman. It doesn't say a virgin. So Matthew changed it. But, but you got to think about this. In the ancient world, any young unmarried woman would be assumed to be a virgin. It's Tragically, that's not the case anymore because there's so much widespread sexual promiscuity. You can't assume that anymore. But in the, in the first century, it was... It was automatically assumed any young unmarried woman is by rights a virgin. So Matthew is not changing things up by saying, you know, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. He's not changing the text. And by the way, in the Greek version of Isaiah, that is what it says. It says a virgin, but it doesn't matter. Matthew's not wrong here. The point is that Mary is going to conceive Jesus in her womb without the aid of a man and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, this is what typology is all about, by the way, as Yogi Berra, the late catcher for the New York Yankees, so ever quotable, he said deja vu all over again. This is typology. This is biblical history repeating itself. God acts in the future the way he acted in the past. The birth of an infant in Isaiah's time 
and this this was a birth, birth to a young virgin. It's a sign that God was with his people. He was going to save them, deliver them from their enemies. That's exactly what's going on in the time of Jesus, but to a way, to the power of infinity, on a way different level, on a way more powerful level, because this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So this is amazing. Mark Twain once said, history may not always repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme, and that is salvation history. God always acts the same way. And so he delivers his people, Jesus, from a far greater enemy than the Syrians, than Ephraim. He delivers us from the power of Satan, evil, death, and sin. That's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a pretty wicked combination. And he does do it. He absolutely does it. So that's, that's kind of the background of the first reading, this idea that the virgin will conceive. So always remember, when you, when you read the books of the Bible, you've got to understand what they meant in their own time, and then you can apply it uh, to our time and, and prophecies. They're, they're never, obviously, the prophecy went beyond what happened in Isaiah's time, but it didn't conflict with it. In fact, God was acting the same way the whole time. Hope that makes sense. If you have any questions, give me a call, 888 When we get back, we're going to question here. It's, it's the Bible and the New York Times. We've got to have each in our hand here. Relate the faith to the culture. Is there such a thing as a dad that's too present with his family? Is Bluey to blame for this? We'll be right back. 888 The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you have a comment or a question. Maybe you're calling on your charity mobile phone. 888-914-9149. Well, speaking of phones, we really like to give away gifts here at Relevant Radio because it is the season of giving, of course, as we're in the, the latter days of admin getting ready for Christmas. Oh, and by the way, i got a special treat for you tomorrow on The Faith Explained. Have you heard of the O Antiphons of Advent? This is really cool. In the, in the last octave of Advent, the eight days just before Christmas, the church prays what are called the O Antiphons. And they're just really amazing ways to pray our way through these last days of Advent, to really want to welcome Jesus into our lives. And they each have something to say about who he is and who we are. So don't miss tomorrow's episode of The Faith Explained, 1230 Central and Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. By the way, I also had a really amazing Q&A. We've got a great Q&A segment on every episode of The Faith Explained. And somebody asked me a really cool question that I had to do some homework on. And the question was about the state of Maryland and does it have anything to do with Our Lady? You know what? The answer was way more interesting than I ever thought. And you're going to have to wait to find out what that is tomorrow, 1230 Central, on The Faith Explained. Or you can listen to the podcast anytime on the relevant radio app. And speaking of that, man, do we ever have a Christmas gift for you? We have just updated the relevant radio app. This is a major league upgrade to our app. So before you take off for Christmas holidays, make sure that you download 
our new updated app. And you can always listen to our live shows as usual. The streaming feature is still there. You can still find podcasts of all your favorite shows, The Faith Explained, The Kale Clark Show, The Patrick Madrid Show, Drew Show, Timory, The Inner Life, The Mass. So much is there for you. Plus, plus, so much more. And you're going to be able to jump ahead now because we, we put now chapters into the podcast. That's, that's a big upgrade. And those of you who are, who are big-time podcast listeners, you know you're going to love that. You can listen on autoplay. And we, we, don't think, we, think, we think that people should operate in moderation and self-control. And we're, we're great with moderation, except for when it comes to the Relevant Radio app. So we, we encourage binging as long as it's binge listening to Relevant Radio on the app. We've got the best of the week segments there now. The Saints series from the Merry Beggars, so much more, so many awesome features to discover. Just download the app. If you've never downloaded the app, it's free. It's it's the premier Catholic app in the world. Download it. Update your app from the App Store, whether you're using the Apple App Store or Google Play. Or you can actually just go to the website, too, relevantradio.com slash app, and find out more information on that. All right. So we've got to... Um, Got to get to this, because I promised that I would uh, talk about this. And uh, Preston Alex, if you're listening, uh, he's our VP of Finance. He's a huge fan of Bluey. He's been on the show to talk about it. The children's series Bluey, about a blue healer, an Australian blue healer. It, it is is one of the most popular kids' series of all times. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there was an interesting little piece that came out yesterday uh, in the New York Times, uh, or maybe it was two days ago, it was on the 18th, today's the 20th, right? Yeah, all the days are just kind of, they're, they're getting shorter in more ways than one, not only less light, but uh, we don't have much time to go before Christmas, so everything's, it's crunch time now. Uh, I think it was on the 18th, in the New York Times, there was a, a piece that came out called The Fantasy of the Fun TV Dad. And basically, it's making fun of the dad on Bluey as being a little bit weirdly too present to his kids. And uh, there's, there's another show that's kind of involved in this article as well, which I'll get into in just a second, called Chip Chilla. Okay, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, this uh, article was written in the New York Times by Amanda Hess. And she writes this, quote, In the first episode of Bluey, the Australian children's series about an animated family of blue healers, the mama dog named Chili drives off to work and leaves her husband Bandit to care for the pups. They play a game requiring Bandit to freeze in increasingly silly scenarios. Put his fingers in his nose, put a sock on his tail, a garden hose is is spraying him right in the face. Much of the series is a showcase for Bandit's virtuosity, his performances in his daughter's imaginative schemes. Bluey is one of the the daughters, one of the dogs, the, the title character. So in subsequent episodes... He serves Bandit, the dad, as their beleaguered hospital patient. He serves as a robot, a beleaguered robot, a beleaguered horse, you name it. Bluey has been praised for its rare and complex depiction of parents. And Bandit, the father, has been commended as an exceptional dad. There are Facebook groups about this. There are Bandit memes. There's custom Bandit fan merchandise. He's a fun dad who does housework, too. In one episode, he dances into the kitchen and shouts, What's up, party people? And plops a basket of freshly folded laundry on the floor. Man, this this is like every woman's dream, right? Well, here's a clip from Bluey. And producer Jim, I know know you're a huge fan of Bluey and your family is too. Can you set up this clip for us? 
Yeah, sure. I like this uh, this uh, clip here. Uh, of course, uh, you know full well, Kale, as being a dad, it's mm-hmm. all about playing to what your kids want to do to make it more fun for them. And so this this clip uh, has uh, the dad playing with the kids, and and he's got them in the juicer and turning them into juice, and it's just kind of a really funny little clip. And uh, here we'll we'll let uh, the listeners. Sure. Uh, listen. Okay, let's just get them in the juicer. Wait, what fruit do you hate? Ooh, rock melon. Blech. Oh, no. Okay, let's get the lid on. Clunk. Now, switch the juicer on. <laughs> okay, there we go. Lid off. Let's have a taste. Rock melon and flies. Nah, kids, that's it for me. i got to get to work. <laughs> so so bandit just seems like the the ultimate dad and 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 back to this article by uh, Amanda Hess she says I don't know how he does it I don't know how he keeps house he works as an archaeologist serves as a full-time prop artist to his daughters but he does it all while only feigning complaint he's not only a good father he's he's a fantasy one crafted to appeal to adults as much as to children And she writes, as I watch the show over my three-year-old son's shoulder, I wonder what Bandit says about the latent desires of the parents who are queuing up the show. And by the way, there are more than 100 episodes streaming right now on Disney+, Plus. more to come in January. And she writes, when I turn on Bluey, I'm being very un-Bandit. I'm not engaged in focused play that follows my child's imagination wherever it leads. I am cleaning. My son is staring at a screen. And I think I think she's kind of being honest here, and I think a lot of parents probably have this this experience. Um, and I think this is part 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 of her her complaint that you know if you, if you watch Bandit, he's 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 present all the time, a hundred percent of the time, to his kids and what they're doing, their imaginative play. And even even my own wife Trish was saying that. Michaela was trying to pick up on one of the games from Bluey, and Michaela was kind of disappointed because they were trying to to play the game heavy, where where, where Bandit would like pick up uh, the kids would give him something, and they'd say heavy, and he'd pretend like it weighs like uh, a thousand tons, and he just can't lift it until they say light, and then they and then he can lift it. And so Trish was was playing like that with Michaela, and she could only play it for a few minutes though. She 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 couldn't hold these you know these heavy things for more than two minutes at a time. And Michaela was kind of disappointed that she wasn't more like Bandit, but but parents have stuff going on, and uh, this is a I think part of this uh, this writer's complaint. Amanda has she says, "quote Gone are the days of setting a child in front of the television, selecting Nickelodeon or PBS, and then hiding the remote. Streaming really has become a different animal. Streaming has turned children's entertainment into a self serve buffet." And that can also make it feel like it's a constant referendum on parental values and tastes. On any given afternoon, my son could be watching a CGI nursery rhyme on YouTube or a a Disney musical from my own childhood or something else. Now that we have so many choices, our selections have come to seem to be very important, especially since they're made under a cloud of judgment for pacifying our kids, pacifying our kids with screens at all. So then she she starts um, talking a little bit about 
uh, other types of children's stories and how they uh, sort of portray parents, moms and dads. Uh, Disney movies like The Little Mermaid, The Lion King have authoritarian fathers who rule their children from a distance. That's a, that's a lot different than, than Bluey's dad, Bandit. Well, outsourcing their child care to a crab or a bird or some other character. And um, she says that her son's favorite show isn't actually Bluey at all. It's actually Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse. And Mickey, no, nobody really knows who Mickey's parents are. He's, he's sort of like a, a figure who answers to no one. Uh, there's no parental presence at all. So that's why to her, Bandit seems, it's kind of weird how he's omnipresent um, he's leading children in fun chaos while their mother is out. Uh, the, mo- the mother is really not the one that's sort of in charge of playtime. It's, it's always dad. And he, and he represents Bandit, a parent freed from drudgery, whose central responsibility is simply to delight his kids. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think about it. Here's another clip from Bluey. Jim, let's set, set this clip up for us. Yeah, another thing that's really good in a family. It's nice to let your kids see that husband and wife love each other. Yes, this is a great clip we call Smoochy Kiss. That was a big one. Charming. Mom, could you and Dad Smoochy Kiss? Yep. Not so fast. Why do you want us to Smoochy Kiss? Because we like it. Yeah, it's very romance. Where did you learn that word? TV, we know all about romance. Well, maybe you could teach your dad about that. Outrageous. Okay, well, there you go. I, I actually agree with that, Jim. I think, I think that's a great, a great thing that, that kids know, even if they're like, oh, I'm kind of grossed out by it, that, that they know that mom and dad really love each other, and that's something that they can hold on to. It actually makes them feel very secure. I think it's good to sort of set positive examples for kids in terms of how, you know, Dad loves mom, mom loves dad, and you know it's 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 a good thing for them to to see a little bit of a little a little touch of uh, of romance. There, I don't know if you agree with me, Jim, but I I certainly think so. I agree. And when we were kids, it was that ooh gross. Yeah, it's totally gross. But now it's the same. With the, the tables turn, and when Aaron and I have that <laughs> little kiss when I get home from work, it's like ooh gross. But you know, it's, it is that that uh, assurance. Yeah. They know that uh, mom and dad love each other. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 totally. They totally need to see that, and I don't know. So, but what do you think about? Let me ask you this, Jim. What, what do you think about this? Do you think that Bandit is a little bit unrealistic of a portrayal uh, of fatherhood and how present you can be with your kids, or is this, um, or is she being kind of uh, off base? This writer by saying it's he's weirdly too present with his kids. So it is a cartoon. So it's not <laughs> yeah. real life. That's the yeah. first thing we should uh, Good realize. Point. There. Good point. But, but that being said, yeah, there is a point. Uh, obviously, you know, there's only so much I can do that. You know, you said that, uh, Trish, you know, only so long she can hold the heavy thing. I think that was the Feather Wand episode. Yeah, great, yeah. great episode. My kids love it. But, yeah, you know, dad being present, how outrageous, you know, for that to be mm-hmm. a thing nowadays. But uh, it, it is this this world is starving for the father's love. And, of yeah. course, um, we see the true love of a father with God the Father and, um, you know, that's not a good analogy necessarily to say that Bandit is like that. But, you know, it, it's very important for the dad to be present. And, and uh, it made a huge difference in, in my siblings and my life, you know, that our dad was present. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and you and I have had many conversations about your dad. I wish I had the chance to meet your dad. He seems just like an incredible, like, he was an incredible guy, and and he was, and and, and that that relationship meant so much to you. So, so watching Bluey must be kind of special for you because this is the this is the kind of relationship you want to have with your own kids, and and I just think it's it's um, it is a, a a good departure, I think, from a lot of the portrayal of fathers on television these days. And, and let's face it, uh, for many decades now on television, uh, dads have been sort of the joke, the punchline, uh, whether it's Homer Simpson or you name it. And it's kind of interesting because Jordan Peterson commented on, on this, um, and he was saying that that this sort of portrayal of the dad as buffoon kind of started exactly around the time that marriage started to break down in society. And I thought, that's probably, that's probably exactly right. Because if you look at TV series from the 50s or 60s, the dad's always a really strong character, whether it's Leave it to Beaver or even some of the Westerns that were out there like Bonanza. These are like strong male leaders and families, but very quickly that all kind of changed. I, th- I think there is a correlation there. There's no question about it. Art imitates life to some extent. I'm not sure what you guys think about this, but I'd love to hear from you. 888 is the number to call. Great time to call in. We're going to have some time for your calls in the next segment. So check it out. Give us a call. 888-914-9149. We will be right back on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149. We'll be getting to your phone calls in just a second. 888 9149. But I want to remind you to download the Relevant Radio app. And if you already have it, good for you. Guess what? We've got some great news for you. The app has just been updated, version 3.0. And I talked earlier in the show about some of the cool benefits to the new app. You're going to get detailed access to your daily podcast, super descriptions, and a live, by the way, a live and fully updated Memorari meter. We've prayed so many, hundreds of millions of memoraries have been offered up through the Relevant Radio app uh, to pray for an end to abortion in America and all around the world. And that counter actually updates in real time on the new app. There's all kinds of extensive prayer resources. You already know that. Both written and audio prayers are now there. And there's actually a one-minute video. It's really short, really quick to get through. Uh, You can go to on our website. Uh, Just click on the main article in the app that you have now or on our website. And uh, it says the best Catholic app just got better. It certainly has. Check it out, the new and improved Relevant Radio app. And and just before the break, we were talking about uh, the New York Times kind of critiquing a little bit the uh, very popular children's show, Bluey. And its depiction of fatherhood as being a little bit too present, weirdly present, uh, in the words of the author. But there's actually another show that I, I haven't seen it yet, and I wonder whether you guys have. Uh, the Daily Wire, uh, They, as you might know, they have their own entertainment division now called Bent Key. And they have actually produced a cartoon that is very similar to Bluey. It's 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 got some, some differences, though. And, in fact, uh, the New York Times says it's a, it's a blatant copy. Um, a ripoff, as it were, but um, it's called Chip Chilla, and it, it sort of does have the same kind of look to it. I've seen some still images. I haven't seen the actual show uh, myself, but uh, there it's about chinchillas, not blue healer dogs, as in the case of Bluey. But Chip Chilla is um, 
it's interesting. The, the kids are homeschooled, and that's kind of interesting because obviously it's playing to uh, a clientele that is that are there are a lot of homeschooling families that use their programming, just like with Relevant Radio and our entertainment division, the Merry Beggars. And so uh, the father on Chinchilla is named Chum Chum, and he's also the homeschooling dad. And he, and he crafts play-based history lessons using voices, creative household items, tells a lot of jokes. And uh, Jeremy Boring, who is the co-founder of The Daily Wire, uh, sort of teased Chip Chilla for a crowd of supporters last year, according to The New York Times. And he said this, quote, This matters because kids go to school 40 hours a week, and then they engage in pop culture for 40 more hours every week. That means for 80 hours of a child's week, you are turning them over to the left, end of quote. That, that, that's, that's probably true. If, if kids are going to public schools, if kids are sort of using secular media all the time in their off hours, they're going to be exposed to a lot of ideas. There's no question about it. And philosophy, theology, ideas are, are always smuggled in through pop culture, whether it's through music. People have a point of view on life, and it comes through in their art, in their culture. And so they're trying to provide an alternative. And that's why we have things like the Merry Beggars and the Saints podcast series um, to provide an alternative. And uh, I know my daughter loves it, and I'm sure your kids do as well. But uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. So uh, there, there's sort of, uh, I, I just wonder whether you've seen it. I'd love to hear what you think about it. 888 you can call this number. Well, let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Christine in Sacramento, California. Hello, Christine. Hi. I um, have a niece who's getting married um, to another woman, and I am only one of six family members in NorCal that's invited. Um, mm-hmm. How do I show that I don't support the same-sex marriage? They're actually really active in the church, um, but also... Um, want to partake in still a big, I guess, moment in her life. So um, you're, you're wondering how you can support her, but you, d- you obviously don't agree with what she's doing. And uh, this is your niece? Yeah, who is, um, and yeah. your phone kind of broke up a little bit there for a second. But uh, so this is a same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage situation. You've been invited to it. Should you go is the question, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Are you are you you're a practicing Catholic yourself as well, Christine? Yes. Okay. Uh, personally, I would say this: I don't think you should go to it. Um, my friend Jimmy Aiken says when it comes to when it comes to weddings, his his general perspective is: if God's going to show up, then I'll show up. Then, then I'm, I'm comfortable showing up. I, I think I can go. And this is not, of course, a, a valid marriage, and uh, it's not possible for there to be an actual marriage. This is an objectively sinful situation. And uh, your, your presence there could be construed as approval uh, of what they're doing. And I know that you want to support them personally uh, in terms of you, you want them to discover the truth. You want them to be happy, to be truly happy. They, they have to live according to the truth. And I personally think that to, to, uh, to go to it would send the wrong message. Um, so I, I, I would not if, if it were me. Um, and I don't, I don't, yeah, it's, it, I've had a lot of friends who have, who have been invited to, to things like this. And, and even to, um, I have one close friend who has 
several kids. He's older than me. He has adult children. And when his son married, you know, natural marriage, he married a woman uh, outside the church on a beach somewhere at a resort. He did not go to his own son's wedding because it was, it was not sanctioned by the church. He'd raised the kids to be Catholic and his son kind of walked away from his faith. He didn't obviously buy into it, but he's like, this, this is not valid in the eyes of the church. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to show up. And they're not on great terms now because of this. He, he took a stand. And, um, and sometimes you, you do have to, to do that. And, and you, you, you don't want to give in to human respect. You know, what will they say? What will they think if I, if I don't go? Um, you have to be, first of all, faithful to God. And, and people will not understand it, for sure. You'll say, they'll say, well, you hate us or something. But that, that's not the case because love... I'm sure you love love her, your niece. Love involves truth telling, and sometimes those truths are uncomfortable for people to hear. Um, and it's a it's it's a difficult situation. There's there's no doubt. But um, so I don't know. I don't know what you think. Does that, does this help at all, Christine? It does. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It actually puts me more at peace with what I was already leaning towards. Okay. Um, but um, I I didn't really know if I was in, like if that was really the wisest or not. So thank you, and also because of the most recent sharing from the Vatican, so it made me um, really kind of sway to mm-hmm. think, okay, well maybe I'm not doing the right thing. So um, that's, that's why. Yeah, right. yeah, and Christine, that that's a great point because of of the news out of the Vatican. And all the confusion that has reigned because of, of this announcement, so many people are are in exactly the same boat as you. And I've, I've had I've been I've had a lot of non-Catholic friends reach out to me, a number of Catholic friends over the last couple of days, saying, "Hey, what's going on with this?" Uh, and, and some of these people are, are, are Protestant Christians. Some of them are thinking about becoming Catholic. Some are not. Some are pastors, uh, friends of mine from the past. Some are not. Um, and they're 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 texting me articles saying you know the Vatican is now blessing same sex marriages which is which is not the case I know the document that came out does not actually say that but you can't blame people for being confused this is a this is an extremely confusing uh, my question is why why put out this document in the first place what was the need for putting this document out in the first place was this in response to a question that had been asked, some sort of dubia from a bishop or something like that? Priests have always been able to bless anybody um, who asks for a blessing, and it doesn't mean that you're condoning their lifestyle. And there are all kinds of different sins that people can be involved in and, and still ask for a blessing. But but to to specifically mention the word unions as well is you know I I just I just I just don't think there was. It's hard to. I, I I just I just think the church has always been has always struggled with public relations, and um, clarity in terms of, of especially in the last few years uh, at the best of times. But but I just I don't know I I don't I think this is this has caused a lot of problems. Let's face it, um, the release of this document and the very fact that we have to talk about it and explain it says that this was not a there's a lack of clarity here and, 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 and you're not the only person to be, to be asking that question. So, 
what can I say? But church teaching has not changed. We know this. Uh, it's been talked about for the last couple of days on Relevant Radio. Church teaching on this matter is not changed. It can't be changed. And, um, yeah, speaking the truth in love is always is always something that we have to do, and it requires a lot of tact, a lot of wisdom, a lot of grace. Um, that um, and people sometimes think if you if you love me, you should validate what I'm doing. But our behavior has to be in accordance with the truth of the human person and our, and our ultimate destiny. And so we pray for that. Here we've run out of time. Thanks for your call, Christine. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We will be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for Trending with Timory plus the family rosary across America with Father Rocky. All right, guys, Jim Shaper produced, along with Miranda Sinaceros and Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Take care, guys. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.